Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, less ukulele. On this episode, I'm dreaming of warmer weather and sitting out in the yard with a relaxing beverage in hand, while the dulcet tones of Yacht Rock keep the time. Just like the return of 70s soft rock, the wine world has seen the rise of the rosé, and now the beer world is looking to get into the pink of health with rosé beers. I sit down with Andy Ziskin, and we talk through his approach to making a rosé beer that is worth your lounge time. How do you make a rosé beer? Is the magic all in the hibiscus? Sit back and chill out, man. But first, a message from our sponsors. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Ruben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewer's Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. Yeah, so what did you think of the uh, the Rosalie here? Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, it's um, to me, it's has a lot of the wine character to it, so it definitely says rosé. Um, and the the beer is kind of just very towards the back end. You get a little bit of the grapes and a little bit of the hibiscus, but there's that nice carbonation. It's yeah, very bright and brisk on the tongue. It's very lively and. Uh, 
and not sour. No. So very fruity, very poppy. And yeah, you get the grape and the grape seed and yeah, a little bit of that tannin from the skin. But I mean, the main problem is uh, it's cold and it's raining. Yeah, exactly. This is, it, not, this this is, is not the beer for not, today. <laughs> not the beer for today, unfortunately, when, with uh, our gray overcast and a little bit of drizzle. Yeah, so move to Southern California where your, your worst event is uh, it's 58 degrees and it's raining. <laughs> so i'm sitting here i'm uh, at one of my favorite places in the universe the stuff sandwich in san gabriel california Longtime listeners of the podcast will know that i have done other podcast recordings here because i love this place you should too and i am sitting with andy andy say hello to everybody hello everybody i'm andy and andy what do you do i am a professional brewer a longtime home brewer i brewed for i don't know about six years had not really a midlife crisis, but but I'll say that uh, a, a change was coming in my work situation, and I kind of took the time to say, you know, if I'm ever going to be lifting 50-pound bags of grain, it's going to be now. So I decided to make a career change, and uh, it's about a year and a half ago. I, I love actually brewing all the time, so when I'm not brewing at work, I brew at home. I was going to say, you're one of the rare professional brewers who still humbers. Most of the guys are just like, nope, I'm done. Yeah, no, I have uh, lots of coworkers who all have been homebrewers, but they always look at me like I'm crazy whenever I bring another beer to work that I made at home because they're like, why don't you just like relax at home and not brew? <laughs> and listeners, the thing that we were tasting is the new or really just about to be released, uh, Rosalie from Firestone Walker. And it's a pink beer. It is part of a trend that is rapidly coming on. I mean, there have been lots of pink beers out there before in the past, but th there's a new trend. Like last year was all about the Brut IPA. This year, it seems that we're going to see the rise of the Rosé beer. A lot of beer companies deciding to take advantage of the Brosé trend. <laughs> if that doesn't sound familiar to you, then you haven't been reading the New York Times or the LA Times in recent years. Past couple of years, there's been a real rise in dudes drinking rosé wine because winemakers finally decided to make actual proper rosés, things that were dry and crisp and just a little fruity, but they became great summertime wines, put those on a chill and boom. I can't tell you the number of times I spend in my backyard here in Southern California and I have a nice chilled bottle of rosé. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect for a, for a hot day. And they're when they're done right, they're not too sweet. So they, they actually have a nice dryness to them so you don't feel like you're drinking soda pop, basically. And whatever you do, don't mix it with vodka and watermelon juice. It's a bad combination for your sobriety. Do you know that from experience? or I plead the fifth. <laughs> now what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a rise in the rosé trend that's happening here. And like we said, I mean, we've seen pink beers in the past. But now, I mean, they're explicitly being called rosés. And you would have heard... Uh, Jeremy from Eagle Rock Brewing Company talking about his rosé gosé on the episode uh, a couple weeks back. Now, we have this one, Rosalie from Firestone Walker. 21st Amendment is about to release their Sparkle Ale. I know Stone has one somewhere in the pipeline, I, I think. And there's at least a few others on the market, and they're all being marketed as this rosé idea. To me, when, when you say rosé, at least with the modern trend, I'm going to think, okay, this is going to be pink, this is going to be fruity, and this is going to be dry and crisp what do you think andy i think that describes it perfectly and uh, that's definitely what this beer is i mean it's very dry finish a little bit of fruitiness um from the grapes and the hibiscus and yeah totally easy to drink i mean i if it was hotter i'd probably get another one of these oh yeah no if it, if it was hotter right now this would be perfect 
right? Like, it, I mean, just like how everybody says, hey, you know, Pilsner is a great hot weather beer. This would actually be a really nice hot weather beer as well, just for that liveliness, I think, and the different flavor. Barbecue beer. That's that's what I would see it like. Barbecue chicken, and and I think it also it appeals to people who go, well, I don't like beer, and you can go try this. As a point, we've talked in the past on the podcast about, you know, hey, what ever happened to beer-flavored beer, you know, in this time of pastry stouts and hazy IPAs and all this? Whatever happened to beer-flavored beer? Now, why are we talking about rosé beer as a good thing? And to my mind, it it's because it builds on it builds on beery traditions, it builds on wine traditions, it builds on sort of flavors I would expect in alcoholic beverages without at least in the good examples being obnoxious or sort of weirdly out of place. I think like you get with some of the pastry stouts, for instance, you know, like, yeah, and there are times some of them are very well executed. We had one on the show also actually recorded here at the stuff sandwich. And that one was wonderful, but you get so many of them that are uh, too sweet. This has built into it, the very idea of a drinkability because it's still based on an alcoholic beverage. Mm -hmm. The reason why we have Andy on here is because Andy, you just placed, in the Doug King competition, in the category that I judged, with a pink slash rosé beer slash, you know, something that falls into this trend. So I figured it'd be fun to have you on to talk, how how do we get the pink and how do we get it so that it's not obnoxious? Let's talk some of the most popular ways to get pink into a beer. Okay. What did you use? For the beer that I used, I, I mostly got my pink from Hibiscus. Um, I did have a very small fruit edition, but it, it was it was pretty much all from the hibiscus. Hibiscus, it's very common, you know, sort of Mexican tea ingredient or South, uh, South and Central American tea ingredient. You see it in other parts of the world. It's called Jamaica. And you'll see it in Agua Frescas all the time. And it makes this beautiful, bright, you know, vibrant colored drink. And it's literally the flower of the hibiscus, dried so that it becomes like, well, really like any other sort of dried fruit. Mm -hmm. And if you're making aqua fresca, yeah, you just soak it in hot water, mix in sugar, and, and that sort of fun stuff to have with it. But how how do we use that in beer? I think there's there's two ways you can do it. You can do it hot side, and you can do also what I ended up going with was was doing it basically as a dry hop. I actually tried to do it hot side as well and found that I did not get the color. I think... There's something about boiling temperatures on that particular color chemical that actually causes it to break down and, and the color doesn't last. When you say you did it on the hot side, you actually put it into the boil kettle. Into the whirlpool. Okay, into the whirlpool. And yeah, I, I can imagine because, I mean, a lot of times those blues and bright reds and purples, those are anthocyanins, uh, which are an antioxidant uh, group of chemicals and compounds. And yeah, some of them are very heat sensitive or pH sensitive. And yeah, you can imagine a beer wart is, well, it's both of those, at least when it's hot. <laughs> you tried Whirlpool, lost the color. How much How much did you put into the Whirlpool? Uh, I put four ounces into the Whirlpool for a 10-gallon batch. For a 10-gallon batch, okay. So two, uh, two ounces per five gallons. Yeah. And you said, I mean, did you get any color or was it just faded? Um, I got a little bit of color right when I put it in and I could actually see it over the course of the Whirlpool just kind of drop out. I've done blood orange juice, which is, again, that same sort of anthocyanin compounds to get that deep pinkish purple thing. And even P those are pH sensitive enough that putting them into beer takes it from that bright dark red purple color into pale pink in a hurry. You then did, you said, a cold steep. Yes. Yeah, I did a dry hop on it. 
or a, a dry hibiscus on it in, in secondary. How much and for how long? <laughs> so I was a little um, aggressive, I guess you would say, because I, th- I think you know because it's 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 more than pink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're we're going to get into the beer here in a moment, but it is... Yeah, so I, I bought another pound of hibiscus, but I did not use it all. <laughs> and I did I did eight ounces over three days. and In 10 gallons. In 10 gallons. And I actually basically did it as I was crashing the beer. So I dosed the dry hop, let it crash for three days, and then kegged it off. So only a three-day exposure, which is nice. I mean, yeah, you'd think uh, color extraction should happen relatively quick. Did you notice any shift in color? You know, because I mean, at that point in time, the beer's done fermenting, right? Or oh, mostly yeah. done. Yeah, it's it's definitely done because. So you're you're at uh, you're at the lowest pH you're going to get in the beer. Not a sour beer. This is a Belgian strong golden Belgian blonde. Yes, I know. We just talked about Belgian strong goldens last episode, but you're at the lowest pH, but relative beer pH. So no shift in the color at that point. No. Yeah. No. There was there was no shift once I got the hibiscus in. We talked the the color impact as sort of this intense purple at that four ounces per five gallons what's the flavor impact um i think you get a little bit of fruitiness from it i think it also for me hibiscus actually adds more acidity um i've done it a couple of times using hibiscus in a dry hopped beer and i found that actually that drops the ph too far and you get a weird sort of acidity with your hops and it, it becomes almost like a it, it kind of draws an astringency out of out of hoppy beers to me. Interesting. So you're saying, have you measured the pH drop? Like I did not measure okay. the pH drop. But so this is maybe not so much pH, but as much as the observable acid flavor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the beer is being more sour because of the hibiscus, which makes sense. I mean, the hibiscus flowers do. If you guys have never had a hibiscus agua fresca, you really should go and try it because. Again, just like the uh, Rosalie that we were just tasting, uh, hibiscus on a hot summer day is a really wonderful drink. Um, yes, no alcohol, but still a absolutely wonderful drink. Very, very refreshing. Because, yeah, when you do it in the Agua Fresca, it's, you get that bright color, which makes it seem very lively. But, yeah, you get a tart sourness. But, again, not anything funky. You don't actually tend to get a lot of the petals. You don't get any, like, real vegetal material. No, yeah, there's no no vegetals. And then the other thing is you get this sort of, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if it's the power of suggestion or if it's actually really there. But to me, I always get a very uh, fruit punch type of flavor. And, again, that might be power of suggestion, but I think there is a fruitiness there. Oh, there, there's definitely a fruitiness, and particularly if you get the Jamaica, it, because of the amount of sugar they put in there, it screams fruit punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still, it's a very nice thing to have. Any any other thoughts that you have about uh, adding hibiscus into into a beer? Like, what else do you have to watch for? Obviously, dry hops and pH or uh, observable acidity. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the biggest thing that I discovered, and I've actually used it more as a tea a couple of times um, when I was trying to do a measured kind of dosing you know to the pint so that i could you know scale it up to 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 my full batch size and and to me i i I did a hot tea basically in a french press making like a super concentrated hibiscus and then 
tried to like dose that back into a beer. Um, and all the times I did that, I was always doing it with a dry hopped beer. So I found that those times it, it just always clashed with the hops to me. I mean, I think in order to actually get enough color, you would have to not only do your four ounces in that French press, which is almost physically impossible, but because I mean, you'd really need to have something that came out of the French press super dark because the second it hits the beer, it's going to get diluted down and it's going to be the exact same experience I had, I think, with the blood orange juice where we're in blood orange season here in Southern California and I've dosed beers, five gallons with about three liters of just the deepest, darkest, weirdly scary purple blood orange juice poured it into a wheat beer and had it go, you know, the final impact being, oh, this is now pink, but not that, <laughs> not that big evil purple color that's sort of, you know, royal and terrifying. Yeah. So, I mean, I think doing it as a tea, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'd love to do it as a tea because I think that's more controllable. But doing it as a tea, I think you're almost working at a disadvantage because you just don't have enough liquid to be able to keep everything in play. No, exactly. And I think that also once you've heated it up, again, you're kind of running into that territory where the color is going to fade. Yeah, you're destabilizing everything. Yeah, yeah. That's hibiscus. You said that you added a small amount of fruit. I did. I went to a conference and got some samples of dehydrated fruit. Huh. Like freeze-dried or? Um, I'm not 100% sure on the process on this fruit, but it was black currant and strawberry. And then what, just that into the into the five-gallon batch? That also, yeah, the into the Whirlpool, yeah. Now, did you, did you see the uh, same sort of color damage from the, the heat or? Uh, they went in at the same time as the hibiscus. I wasn't, these were, these were pretty small amounts. Um, and I believe they were two ounces each. Okay. So two ounces per 10 gallons. Yeah. And so really four ounces total. Yeah. So just about the same amount as the, uh, as the hibiscus that you added. Correct. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if you tried those as a tea. I, I've done, uh, Trader Joe's has their freeze dried, uh, fruit like strawberries and blueberries and uh, a couple of other fruits, raspberries that you can take and throw into a blender and just turn into a powder by staring at it. <laughs> it was, oh, hello, powder. And I've used those in meads before to do that. So I'd be curious to see uh, doing a cold steep edition of this dehydrated fruit or the freeze dried fruit, which is commonly available. That's doing uh, the fruit that way. How uh, there are other ways to get the pink color. Right, and we and we've seen this with some of the the beers that we, that we've had. Obviously, we have this Rosalie, which not only has the hibiscus but also has grape must in it mm-hmm. to give it a little extra oomph. We talked a little bit about doing some berries. Users could go out there and use actual, you know, frozen berries and get all that juice out of the berries. I've used again blood oranges to mixed effect. And by the way, guys, when I'm saying I use blood oranges, I mean, I went to a farmer's market when they were closing up for the day and bought the cheap couple of flats of blood oranges that they would give me that still weren't that cheap and produced all that juice and still got a relatively minimal impact. <laughs> so blood oranges may not be the best choice, although they're a very tasty choice. Also, I suppose one could use beets, but then you'd have to deal with the beet flavor. Yeah, I, I have tried to do I tried to do a purple beer once to intentionally go as purple as I could. And I tried to use beets in the mash. And I, I ran into the same situation with the hibiscus that on the hot side, that color just breaks down. 
Um, it was it was wonderful on my first runnings, and by the time I finished boiling, there was no purple left. I think it's fairly safe to say almost any sort of hot side addition is going to be less less efficient than doing anything on the cold side because then you're just dealing with the pH. Anything else that you think to go? Um, the last thing I have tried to do, uh, not exactly grape must, but I tried to use grape concentrate for, for a wine kit, basically. Oh, uh, it's a super concentrated. Yeah, I, I took a, a three-gallon wine kit, which, which is basically one gallon of concentrated wine juice, and added that to as a, as a Whirlpool addition. And I think, again, on the heat side, I think I, I probably would have been better off doing that cold side. Mm-hmm. But I was a little bit worried about that syrup actually getting into solution. Yeah, so I, I did it I did it hot. And I got a very minimal color addition from that beer. You remember the old Alexander concentrates? Big sort of 32-ounce cans that are filled with just super goop? <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't try and make wine from these things. They're terrible. And I know somebody's going to dispute me on that, but they're terrible. But I, I've used Merlot must in those cans before for coloring saisons. And yeah, I've I've always done it on the cold side, and, and I've gotten good color additions from there, along with some of the good grapey flavors, which mm-hmm. I think is actually kind of a nice thing. I'm trying to think, what else have we seen in the in the pink beers? So a lot of hibiscus. Most almost all of these beers will have hibiscus in them. A number of them will also have some sort of berry addition. So any of your red or blueberries will will work in here. So your blackberries, your blueberries, your raspberries. Etc. Obviously, you want to go as dark as you can because you're diluting down the that colorant a lot when you're going into a beer. Beets, yes, you could do, but then again, beets are also going to bring their own flavor because they're very earthy. Also done well, red zinger tea, but red zinger tea is hibiscus. Yes. <laughs> so, hmm, hibiscus. That seems to be the big key here. Other thoughts because I know one of the big problems that we've seen with a lot of the earlier pink beers other than the sort of very girly marketing, right? You know, very sort of sexist, stereotypical marketing has also been the fact that so many of them are god awfully sweet. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the the big danger is you want to kind of make sure that it's drinkable, which means making it dry, um, which is why the style I used was was a fairly dry style. And I actually, you know, in addition to having a sugar addition, I actually added extra enzymes to the mash because I wanted to make sure. It finished dry. You use amylase? Yeah. Like uh, amylo 300 or? Yep. Well, and that's exactly what Jeremy over at Eagle Rock was talking about with the Rosé Gose. So another dirty little uh, dirty little trick, and uh, air quotes around dirty, <laughs> is get some extra enzymatic help because it does make a difference. So you did sugar to also help dry it out. I think the Rosé Gose also uses a little bit of sugar, but they also definitely use enzyme. Goza is an interesting idea just for the sourness, just that little light sourness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally see doing a Boiler Vice this way or a kettle, any other sort of a kettle sour just does that little extra acid pop. Yeah, I think in a, and it kind of makes it more relatable towards that wine. I mean, I think you, you think of a Rosé wine, it's going to be, it's going to have an acidity to it. It's not going to be it's going to be lower pH than a beer is usually. Absolutely. I think we've started down the path. We know you got to get dry, but you also want to do things to preserve the fruitiness. Sparkling is always nice up against these because again, you're dealing with, you know, these things are adding some acid and fruit flavors to it. And that sparkling kind of helps drive up some of those flavors where, you know, really punches them up and then look for maybe a little bit of sourness. If you want to go that way, you know, like a, a kettle sour, but otherwise, it seems like going either a super strong tea tincture or really just adding the ingredients into the late stages of fermentation or secondary fermentation and laying them cold steep before finally going into package 
is about the best keys that you can get to actually really maximize your color extraction and maximize your color preservation on these. Any other thoughts? I think you summed it up pretty well. All right. Well, hey, then let's get into the beer. Let's do it. So we are now going to take a magical break to pour some beer. And Andy, what is the actual name of this beer? I know this beer has several names, right? Yeah, it's it's had a couple of names. When I when I entered it into the Doug King competition, I gave it the name Pink Drink. Pink Drink. It had another name because I did brew this back in late November, um, so it was also Hibiscus Holiday for a little while. What uh, what was entered into the competition and what I saw as notes for this was Belgian Golden Strong with Hibiscus. Correct. And I know this because I'm looking at the label on the second bottle. Yeah, this is unfortunately, this beer didn't go to best of show. I'm not sure why, Drew, but... I argued. <laughs> I argued. I lost. So so I, I, I stole this uh, second bottle back from the competition because it was actually a very nice swing top, one liter bottle. So decided to keep it. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. As Andy pours himself his glass, I will tell you guys what I am looking at here. It's not quite Concord grape juice color. It's like somebody made a really dark cranberry juice type color. You know, a little more purple in it. You know, a little, a little light, tight white head that's, well, actually not white, slightly pinkish. And again, you were saying this was, uh, you had the four ounces in the, in the boil. Yes. Along with the four ounces of fruit. Correct. And then another eight ounces in, in dry, dry hibiscus. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's a rather intense color. I mean, there is a haze here and I if I remember correctly, I think this goes away as it warms up, right? Yeah, I think it, it is mostly just a chill haze. Um, I did find this beer with a little bit of gelatin, so if you're vegetarian, I'm sorry. All right, so now let's talk about the nose on this. Because, I mean, the big thing here is, I mean, if you're familiar with hibiscus, uh, hibiscus tea, this smells like hibiscus tea. I mean, there's no, there's no mistaking the agua fresca characteristic going on here. Oh, absolutely. And I think... I think those small fruit additions into the Whirlpool actually do come through. Um, I didn't label them that way because I find a lot of times when I'm entering a competition, if if I say there's some black currant in there, people want a lot of black currant, and it's it's very subtle. So, well, you said black currant and strawberry, right? Correct. Because the the one I get, I mean, I get some of the kind of the the acid notes that I get from current, that sour note that I get from current, mm-hmm. but I do get the strawberry fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And I get that. The, the, just like I'm in Oxnard during the strawberry festival. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's a combination of it's, it's a little bit of the fruit. It's a little bit of the hibiscus. And I think it's even a little bit of the yeast character coming through there too. Let's talk the base of the beer. Okay. Cause you build this as a Belgian strong golden or Belgian golden strong. So what is what is the what is the beer base? So so yeah, I mean I, I I would say it's a Belgian Golden Strong, but then I did listen to your podcast last week and I was wondering if I actually made a triple instead of a strong, but I'm just, I'm going to stick with the, the Belgian Golden Strong. Again, I think to the point of the podcast, it all it's really mostly comes back to the East. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so it's it's 20 pounds of US two row. I happen to. 
always take home our samples that we get when we get our silo filled at work. So funny how that happens. <laughs> so I have lots of those little five pound samples at home. And then I did uh, just one pound of the light Munich malt, just to give it just a little bit of color. Yeah, there's a one ounce uh, bittering edition of a hop that we have at work that I don't think anybody else has. So I don't know if I should name it, but it's it's HBC 342. Uh, It was an experimental hop, and I don't even think that anybody is producing it anymore. So. It may disappear completely from the face of the earth. It's a phantom. Yes. Um, but but all I was looking for is, is just a little bit of bitterness on that one. How many IBUs did you go for? Uh, I was going for 17. Uh, my OG was in the 1065. Really, really swung towards the, the malt and the sugar. So, and, and just going uh, going on looking real quick, uh, HBC 342 is actually available at more beer. Ah, uh, and they describe it as uh, from Hop Union from uh, spring of 2012, and it is selected a high alpha aroma variety selected for its present aroma, mild, pleasant, citrusy, and tropical with some mellow notes as well. So you, you, know, you ended up choosing a hop that would play into the fruity characters. It would, but again, it was it was, it was a 60 minute edition, yeah. so I'm not really sure any of that actually carried through. Yeah, uh, I would I would think if you're if you're making a beer like this, you could substitute anything that's in the high alpha range to to get you the bitterness that you're looking for including my favorite magnum yes um there's also i did three pounds of cane sugar and that was just straight cane sugar no no inverting no no inverting no yeah and i and i put those in sort of in the right before i'm flame out um so just at the last minute just to dissolve it just to dissolve it that's uh, um, which means you would extract more bitterness from the from the bittering hops than your OG would imply. Exactly. Um, and then uh, the yeast was actually a White Labs 530. Um, I had a very big 530 starter. I can't actually tell you how much it was. It was kind of a, an approximation. More more, more an eyeball than anything else. How, how dare you not have precise numbers on a, on a homebrew? <laughs> um, what else can I tell you? Um, I fermented this starting pretty low, uh, 62, I believe. Let it rise up pretty quickly. Um, did a, a very warm rest at the end before I let it, before I started crashing it and adding the hibiscus. And when you say hey, very warm, we're talking like 70s? Yeah, yeah, high 70s. I typically, even, even in Southern California, I tend to put a heating blanket into my fermentation chamber just to make sure that I hit those temperatures, especially overnight. That's that's really what I worry about a lot of times. I'll find I have no problem bringing the beer up to temperature, but then we'll get like a one cold night and the insulation of my chest freezer in the garage does not do enough to keep the beer warm sometimes. And then you start, and then you add the hibiscus. And so crash. then I added the hibiscus, yeah. And I, I guess I didn't mention the the hibiscus in the in the whirlpool and the the fruit additions that I also did in the whirlpool. So then, yeah. So then I I crashed it uh, and did the hibiscus addition at the same time. So I wanted the, the hibiscus to like sit at the top and sink down pretty quickly. Um, I didn't bag it, so it all settled out during the crash good, then, good thing about big flowers they'll just drop yes <laughs> gravity helps and then uh carved it pretty aggressively i'm not sure if this one is well i think this sample 
it feels like it's a little less carb than what yeah, I had. I don't I don't know how how well these swing tops do at holding carb. It's one hopes they would do okay. Yeah. Do you remember where the the final gravity was terminal? Uh, my terminal. I did take this into the lab to have them <laughs> at works. So I do know that it was eight and a half percent, and I I want to say that it finished at one Plato, so ten oh four. And that that plays into what I'm. I mean, this is. I mean, there's sweetness here, but it's more fruity sweetness than that malt, like sticky sweetness. Yeah. And the amazing part to me is you can get through a full glass of this before you start to realize that, oh, yeah, there's there's that warmth there. There's some booze in this. Yes. This would be late night summer uh, summer drinking material. The one thing I will say about the the rosé we were, we were drinking here earlier, it is, it is more in that like session 5% range, yep. whereas this is actually... You could pour this in a wine glass and kind of treat it like you're drinking a glass of wine, almost. Actually, in a lot of ways, I think this is more dangerously, dangerously drinkable than a glass of wine. <laughs> Where you, you know, I'd, I'd go, oh, hey, look, I put my, I filled up my wine glass. Oh, my wine glass is empty. I'll go fill up some more. Next thing you know. <laughs> and, my, and my wife comes over and shakes me on the shoulder. Honey, time to go to bed. Huh? So we, we've got this. I mean, again... Like I said, to me, this is impressive. Uh, we'll have to take a picture so that people can see just the color on this because it's really hard to describe because it is just super impressive <laughs> and like sort of mildly terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I, and and honestly, that was the goal. I had made a couple of beers that I was trying to do light pink, and then I decided, nah, f it, I'm gonna make a really, really pink beer. Well, we have a, a fellow club member, Craig, um, Craig Wickham who does mostly meads mm-hmm. and he has a couple of farm plots underneath the power lines in the San Fernando Valley. Welcome to Los Angeles and where he grows a couple of blackberry bushes amongst other things. And so he'll do these blackberry meads for lack of another way of <laughs> describing what they are, but they're really like I dissolve some honey into some blackberry juice <laughs> and they come out at like just, they go into your glass looking like somebody poured you a purple port that ends up tasting like blackberries. This isn't quite to that same level of color, but it's in that same sort of damn the torpedo step on the gas sort of attitude Yeah, in there. So a, a slightly different take on the, on the rosé idea. Now, let's say you want to get more into that Rosalie style, that, that paler pink. This you said, okay, you had four ounces in the boil that you said sort of dissipated, and that's four ounces per 10 gallons, so two ounces in the boil, and that sort of dissipated. And then you added an additional four ounces per five gallons in the secondary as a, a dry hop or a dry hibiscus addition. And we get this deep, dark, dank, purplish color. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to go for Rosalie, where do you think you'd target? I mean, I, I would probably go about half that size if i was going to do it the same way where i added it and then crashed it otherwise so two ounces per five gallons yeah and then if i was gonna do a more measured approach i'd probably bag the hibiscus and then you know unfortunately in my fermenter i can't actually see what's happening inside it so but it, but if you if i had a glass carboy i would kind of keep an eye on it and as the color kind of started to pop i would just immediately try to remove it what do you use for fermenter um i use generally i use a spital a big plastic fermenter yeah so i mean you could see sort of translucent but you're still kind of hard pressed yeah the the it's very thick plastic so it's hard to 
to get a good idea of what's happening in there. So what else would you uh, change about this beer? One, just as the beard is now. Mm-hmm. And then if you were going for, you know, that more sort of rosé beer idea. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is is I would probably take the hibiscus back just a little bit. I think it, For the beer as it is now. For, for the beer as it is now, yeah. I think I, I would just... I love this color, but I think it, it might be just a little bit more appealing, just a slight, you know, just one shade lighter. That That's, to me, the biggest thing. And I think I also might get a little more of the Belgian blonde character that way, because I think the hibiscus flavor is a little bit intense. Just just a touch. This is a intense agua fresca uh, for adults. Yes. As it exists. And, I mean, it's absolutely wonderful. And that's part of the reason why I argued for this on the on the best of show panel, because to me, what I love about this is just the execution in it. And yeah, sort of the going for the gusto and still ending up with something that's very drinkable in kind of slightly dangerous. Mm -hmm. So any other thoughts, if you were going to go more rosé, like where would you pull this back to? If you wanted like the more Rosalie area, like we already said half the hibiscus. Um, if I was trying to go to towards that Rosalie, I might even go like a third. Okay. I mean, it's Where, where would you take the gravity? That's the other thing is if if I wanted it to be a little more sessionable, I would I would bring the gravity down by. So you bit. said th- this one started at ten eighty five, ten sixty five. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry, ten sixty five, eight point five percent ABV. Yeah. So it, from ten sixty five, where do you think you'd go? Like ten fifty? Probably about there. Yeah. And then, and do most of that by pulling back base malt, base malt, and a little bit of sugar too, because I think you want to you want to maintain that percentage of of the grist. Yeah. Well. Before we leave, any other thoughts that you want to share out there in the world of rosé, hibiscus, the wonderful world of uh, being a shift brewer and what you can do? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I just, uh, I love making beer. I love talking about beer. I, you know, my wife complains about it that whenever I go anywhere, that's all I talk about and anybody wants to talk to me about, but. You know, Wait, hold on. Uh, listeners of the podcast, how many of you do your significant others complain just about the level of obsession that you have with beer. Um, that seems to be, it seems to be universal amongst our lot. Yeah. Well, well she complains about it, but then she totally supports it. So I can't, I can't complain about her complaining. Oh, well, all I have to do is, you know, Hey honey, do you want a quad? And she's like, yes. Okay. <laughs> she's happy with that. Yeah. Uh, Andy, we're, I know, you know, it's kind of semi defunct right now, but like we're, if people wanted to see more of your opinions on, about beer, where can they find your stuff? Um, yeah, so for, for a long time, I was uh, doing a YouTube uh, show, part of a channel called Wild World of Beer. And I used to do, every Tuesday, I would review two beers and call it Two Brew Tuesday. Um, so you can look up. I have at least 50 of those. We also did a bunch of, and we're still planning on doing more beer festivals um, where we just go to a beer festival, talk to the brewers that are there, and talk to them about their beers and, you know, I think it's pretty entertaining content, so definitely look it up. And so listeners, uh, yeah, I know we've talked a lot about, like, the varying things about uh, Andy's uh, pink beer here. But uh, don't worry. We're going to put it online. You'll be able to find the notes at experimentalbrew.com. We'll also include a link to Andy's uh, Two for Tuesday uh, show. Be able to go enjoy it. And, by the way, don't fear the pink. The no, pink. absolutely not. The pink can make for some wonderful drinking experiences. And I'm telling you, I think uh, pink beer is going to be, uh, or not pink beer, but rosé beer 
is going to be one of the hot trends for the year, just like Brute IPA was last year, just like Hazy IPAs still are right now. I think you'll see a lot of this as people are trying to, you know, just offer more very distinctive options to people to try. In the meanwhile, don't give a, don't be afraid to give this a shot. You know, go go play around hibiscus. If you do not have a local supermarket because you don't have maybe like a large Central American or South American or Mexican population in your area that carries hibiscus flowers uh, like we do here in LA. You can definitely find them online. You can definitely get a pound of it, of it on Amazon. No yep. problem at all. Yep. You can find these online. They're super easy to, to work with. Consider adding some additional fruits or maybe some grape juice or grape must to those things. You can find those kits as well at all your local homebrew shops. Like I said, uh, Trader Joe's is wonderful for dehydrated fruit. Yeah, And you have other options. You can find frozen berries anywhere in the universe that you can think about finding them. All these are going to give you very interesting flavors to play with. You just got to make sure you get them into balance so that you still have, and I know I said the B word, I'm sorry, guys, but you have to find the right level to put these fruity flavors at so they're not distracting from the beery nature of everything, but also at the same time, they're providing you with a very distinctive experience. All right, Andy, thank you, sir. Thank you, Drew. And don't forget, guys, go make some pink beer. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of why pink beer should be in your glass this spring and why it's actually a thing for you to look forward to whether you make a beer like andy's pink drink or something more mellow like firestone walker's rosalie how else would you make a beer fit for the rosé wave we've covered some of the ways we know but obviously there's more what do you think the odds are and how long it is before we see a rosé ipa remember if you have show ideas styles brewers techniques ingredients etc you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com you can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every home brewing forum known to mankind. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AJBrewSwag.com code word experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging our buck or two or more in our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Wings of Rescue, a private pilot organization that flies all around the country, taking shelter dogs from overcrowded shelters to better situations where they can be adopted. Now, until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. 